Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I am a tiny bit under the weather this week, so if any of the things I talk about don't sound as happy or enthusiastic as I normally do, hopefully uh, you'll realize that it's just me. I really do love all of this stuff. So let's jump in and see what we got going on this week. First up is a guide from Dustin, aka Dasutin, that walks you through installing RetroNAS as a virtual machine on your Unraid server. If you don't know what any of that is, I will get to it at the end, but if you do, here's the basics. You need intermediate knowledge of Unraid in order to get this done. Basically, if you've installed a virtual machine on your Unraid server before, this should be an absolute piece of cake to just follow the guide step by step and get everything installed. The other thing that you'll definitely want to note about this is we've been kind of, we meaning the RetroNAS team, Dustin and uh, Ed Space Invader 1, have been kind of bouncing around different ways to get this installed a little bit easier, whether it's a Docker container or some kind of installer or something else. And we haven't really found an easy way to do that. But if something more official ever comes out, if there's ever like an app for Unraid, all you'd really have to do is just you know, turn down, turn off the, or back up your RetroNAS settings in the VM, turn off the VM, load the Docker, restore your settings, and that's it. It'd be like two minutes worth of work to do all of that. So if you're thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to do this now because maybe they're going to have a different solution in the future. If there is another Unraid solution in the future, there, it's like near zero work to swap it over. So if you are hesitating at all and you're running Unraid, definitely just go ahead and do this one. Also, uh, I have been running this for over six months now, and I completely forgot about it, which is as big of a compliment as I could possibly give. My uh, fellow IT nerds already know what I'm about to say, but I remember going through this guide with Dustin seven months ago, and you know he's uh, really good at Linux, so a lot of the stuff in the guide just needed some clarification, so if you're a Windows moron like myself, you could still understand all of it. So I kind of installed it a few times and then got the flow working, and everything was great, even through reboots and all of that other stuff. Just remember to set the VM to auto-boot when your server boots on. And I said, okay, well, that's great. Let me run it for a week, and then I'll write the post on RetroRGB pointing people to your guide. And I completely forgot about it which means there was never a problem with it. Every time I needed to access RetroNAS, it was just there. So that means this is a solid guide and a very solid solution to get this done. So my 
a sincere apologies to Dustin for forgetting to tell people about this. And of course, for forgetting to tell all of you about it who were waiting on something like this. Uh, but my mistake is just proof that this is a solid solution. If you're not sure what any of this stuff is, I'll give you a quick overview. If you already know, just skip to the next section. But Unraid is a piece of software that boots off of a USB stick that you could load onto a PC or basically anything that you could attach a bunch of drives and a network cable to. It is essentially a NAS, a network attached storage device, much like you could do with RetroNAS. So if RetroNAS is a NAS and Unraid is a NAS, why do you need both? Well, the answer, the easy answer to that is RetroNAS is designed to be a mod, sorry, Unraid is designed to be a modern do-it-yourself NAS solution. There's a few others out there. I've been really digging Unraid for a couple of different reasons, but that's, you know, uh, definitely not the context for this conversation. And it's really set up to do everything you'd want to do today for everything that's not retro gaming. And you could still do some retro stuff with it, but RetroNAS is designed specifically for things like running a PS2 server to boot your games, using Simlinks so that you could connect a Raspberry Pi, a Mr. and something else all to the same folders, but each of those targets think that it's its own folder structure. So it's really designed completely for us as retro gamers, as well as a whole bunch of other features like uh, tunneling so you could get older computers on the internet. And, you know, both Unraid and RetroNAS are worth, if you're interested in those, are worth their own videos, which I did. Uh, I have an introduction to RetroNAS, which there's a million more features now. So that's a good intro, though. And I also talked with Ed, Space Invader 1, to give everybody kind of an overview of what Unraid is. But I just wanted to give the one-minute version here so anybody who was unfamiliar might be able to just say, well, why the heck are there two NAS servers? That's basically it. One is going to be the main. The other is going to be the secondary. If you're only doing retro, you could just grab any computer an old beat up laptop, whatever, and load retro NAS and you're done. But if you want other modern NAS features, then you would want both retro NAS running on Unraid or any other device. Still no update. Well, no, um, no progress on dockers or anything like that for like Synology and Drobo boxes. If anybody wants to step up to the plate and start writing for those, especially if you've already written dockers, you could try to probably piece that out. But that's, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. So hopefully that was the full overview that's, uh, you know, quick enough that it's not boring everybody. But once again, thanks again to Dustin for putting that guide together because, you know, I think a lot of people are already running an Unraid server and we're looking to do exactly this. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB. And this week I had the idea to start a brand new project, but I just don't have the energy. So instead I'm gonna completely do a cop out and show you that factory tour video again. But honestly, if you haven't seen it, or if you're somebody that listens to these audio only, maybe take the minute to just kind of watch along as I narrate this, because if you're a nerd like I am, how factories like this work truly is fascinating. And I'd love to someday be able to actually go there and do a factory tour. And at the very least, I want someday to talk to, uh, to someone and show videos of how the wave soldering process works, because that just blew my mind the first time I saw it. But anyway, let's take a look at what happens when you place a PCB plus assembly order at JLC PCB. So while I've never been to an assembly facility as impressive as JLC PCBs, I have been to places like it, and I can kind of walk you through what it is that you're seeing here. They have a giant warehouse of component preparation, and each shelf is numbered and corresponds to your order. 
so that when your order is ready, everything gets scanned in as well as your PCBs and your stencils. And now when you have a PCB assembly made, a stencil is required because everything's done through machinery for surface mount stuff. So a few weeks ago, I talked about having a stencil for making your own stuff on a reflow oven. Here's how it's done in a factory environment where the machinery goes through and spreads the solder paste only on the areas of the PCB that require any of the components. Then it gets scanned through a different machine to make sure that nothing's splattered and everything lines up. And then comes my favorite part of watching these videos, the pick and place machine. These are different machines that go through and take individual components and place them exactly where they need to be on top of the existing solder paste. These things are so cool to see in person, and it's so interesting and fascinating to me how they get programmed to put everything in the exact place they need. But it's not quite done from there. While it's sticky on there, it won't be until it goes through the reflow oven where it's heated up to the correct temperature in order for all of the components to permanently bind to the board. Then it gets inspected to make sure there's no craziness on it and you know nothing splattered through. And then it's sent to the final through hole assembly. And these are for scenarios like if you have a build that has a bunch of surface mount components, but then a few through hole components like a SCART connector or a VGA connector, those have to be soldered through by hand and those are manually done by people on an assembly line who also do the final checks and finish it off to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to be. Retro Gamer Store has opened pre-orders on a run of Genesis or Mega Drive Model 1 expansion port covers. So that's that plastic piece that you pop out when you want to connect this to a Sega CD that many people have lost over the years because if it unsnaps from something, chances are if you've thrown it in a box, it'll probably easily get lost. Um, so this is basically going to be the same quality plastic and build as all of the other retro game restore stuff. It's just going to be the side piece and the price is going to be 10 bucks plus shipping. So this is one of these things where if you're ordering multiple things from their store, this is probably a no brainer if you're missing yours. Uh, but I just, I do love to see little pieces like this get made as well, because it always kind of makes me, I know aesthetics don't make the game play any better, but it does make me a little sad to see Genesis console sitting out there without the, the side tab because it was lost. So thanks very much for, to Retro Gamer Store for doing this. Uh, any other um, in, info or details that you want on this, please check out Ronnie's post. But basically, uh, more stuff's coming and the NES shells are progressing and we'll update everybody when there's a lot more solid info. And maybe I could even do another live stream with the NES shell whenever that's done as well. Lewis from Zez Retro just put together a guide on how to set up racing wheels on Mr. And there isn't a video yet because it's still kind of in limbo in that it works, but there are some things that are kind of still bumps in the road. So if you are the type of person, and this is just my opinion, but if you're the type of person that takes your time, sets something up and never wants to mess with it again, now is probably not the time to mess with your racing wheel. However, if you're a tinkerer like we are and you want to just try it out and see what it's like, I would absolutely check out the post on uh, the Cathode Raid blog. Just everything's linked right through Retro RGB just to make it easier for you all, of course. But Lewis kind of walks you through how to take a Logitech G27, G29, or GT uh, and get it set up with games like OutRun and uh, maybe even things in place like the PlayStation Core. So 
you know, driving games have a, a special place in my heart. Outrun and Daytona are some of my favorite games of all time. So I'd love to see stuff like this out there. And hopefully as things progress, support for the wheels and maybe even auto support for certain popular models could be baked in so that we don't have to really worry about this. However, that's a lot of work. And if you want to get a jump on it and try it out now, just check out Lewis's guide. Photographer 2BitBoy has just released a 3D printed kit that replaces the shell and lens of the Game Boy camera with a new one that allows you to use C or CS mount lenses. Now, this project is very near and dear to my heart because Cousin Scott has been using the Game Boy camera for his own artwork since the Game Boy camera was released when we were kids uh, and has even been kind of tinkering with a video project, which is definitely a conversation for another time. But this kit is pretty awesome because it allows you to replace that very you know, low-end original lens with one that is a significant upgrade to it, but while still being able to use it in a portable form factor. I mention that because there, there was also a design a while back that allowed you to take an EF mount lens and mount it to the original camera on the Game Boy camera. And I believe we talked about that here a few years ago amazing project. I am by no means putting that project down. I think that is so cool, but this one is definitely more of something that you could you could use and kind of take with you in the same spirit of the original Game Boy camera, just with an upgraded lens. Um, also, kind of something cool that if you own an analog pocket, you're able to, to uh, extract the photos that you take to the SD card. And I would love to see somebody build if I don't even know if this is possible. So please correct me in the comments if I'm being a moron right now. But I would love to see somebody build a special custom ROM or something for it that lets you just take video right on the analog pocket with it. Because I just think that's such an interesting and neat thing. And, you know, yes, this is a super low res camera, but sometimes working within strict limitations brings out creativity that you would have normally never had. Anybody that's ever seen pinhole camera artwork knows exactly what I'm talking about or that scene in Apollo 13 where they dumped all the stuff on the table. But either way, um, you know, thanks very much to 2BitBoy for making this one and releasing it. Uh, hopefully I could have one of my friends print me one of these so I could give one to Cousin Scott for the holidays. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions has recently posted a couple of Game Gear focused videos. And with respect to Tito, I'm just gonna read his post out of order just to try to put things into perspective. First, number one, without a doubt, I strongly recommend that you check out Tito's Game Gear recap video because all Game Gears are ticking time bombs. Yes, there's always somebody in the comments that wants to tell me one version is less of a ticking time bomb than others. Doesn't matter. You should treat all of them this way because if your capacitors leak out and all of that fluid gets all over the motherboard, that motherboard will eventually disintegrate. And while there are amazing replacements like the one um, from Matase, that's still, you're letting your Game Gear get ruined for no reason. So definitely open it up, check it out. And at the very least, I mean this with all the respect in the world, it's really good for you to be able to see how much effort goes into this. Because if you're someone that doesn't have the time or skills to recap this stuff yourself, 
it, it's really good to appreciate what your modder is doing for you because it's so easy to be like, wow, that's such an expensive price. Why would I pay that? It's more than the game gear cost. It's really good to put this into perspective to see what goes on when you do all of these things. Um, but the next thing I wanted to talk about in the same post is that Tito also did another video about turning the Game Gear into a console, so a full consoleization mod via the Gamebox systems adapter. Um, now, the kit for it is $160. It comes with a 3D printed case that looks very, very cool. Um, and the only downside, it is only compatible with VAO and VA1 Game Gears. So you're going to have to make sure to open your Game Gear up, check the motherboard revision to make sure that this is compatible. But Overall, it seems very cool. It's using, uh, it's based off of the same kit that their uh, Game Boy Advance kit is off of. So there's a little bit of latency on it, but overall, I do think it's a pretty awesome consolization project. And Tito just nailed everything in his post and in the video if you want to know everything about it. So uh, maybe one of these days we could do a video just lag testing all of these different mods. We did a, Tito and I did a live stream on it, but it was very off the cuff and my, I was having problems. We were both were actually having problems with our setup. So uh, hopefully we could put together like a, a high production, you know, a Matra Natra style video on this so we could all see how this kind of falls into place. But if you want the details on this, definitely check out Tito's video. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to just go through these real quick. And if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video. And let's see if uh, I'm good enough to do this in one take or if I have to, to cut it up this week. I usually do these all in one single take. So let's give it a try. First off, Hotego has released a Beto for his JT Kiwi, JT Kiwi Core. Yeah, starting off strong, aren't I? Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't run New Zealand Story yet. Instead, it's running in Sector X, which is another game based on the same hardware. So basically, the first of, of a couple of games that will work off of that arcade platform. Um, Hotego also uh, brought a bunch of cores out of beta. Uh, definitely check out Lou's video and post if you want more info on what those are. But uh, just a, a quick for anybody who might be joining this for the first time, um, Hotego releases all beta cores to Patreon subscribers first, uh, both obviously as an incentive to support the tremendous amount of work that he does, but also because it's fair. You don't want to spend all of your time working on bug reports uh, for things that you already know about because they're public. So it kind of limits him to a smaller group of people who he works with in order to get this stuff tweaked. And then after those cores are, are in a place where it's good enough for public, he releases them all completely for free. So, you know, you're all welcome to your own opinion on that, but I personally think that's freaking awesome. Uh, next up, Joel Wybro designed an IO board that will fit inside a Sega Saturn. It's still currently in the design phase. And at the moment, not hopefully not forever requires an original model one sega saturn case i basically begged and pleaded with joel to just take the time to make the few changes on the board to make it fit into a model two case so we can get those amazing yoey cases so you don't need to cannibalize a saturn everything that you would need is completely aftermarket which also means that you could feel free to cut that up and put some awesome stuff in it and you know add an led screen to the side or whatever the heck you want to do with it and know that if anything goes wrong you just order another case and you didn't ruin a piece of history so um, i'm really looking forward to see what joel does with that project i think having stuff like the retro game restore cases and the yoey cases become new shells for a mister 
are not only a good idea for nostalgia, because if you love the Saturn, why not have your Saturn be your mister? But also these larger cases might allow for just some ease of taking a bunch of other stuff and cramming it into the case so you have less adapters dangling out. So cross your fingers and hope Joel has time to work and finish this because I personally would love a Mr. Saturn. Mr. Saturn? I don't know. Whatever. Um, Lou recently showed how to build some GunCon 3 emitters. However, if you don't feel like building your own and you have a GunCon 3 without them, Mr. Add-ons is selling them for 20 bucks. So please check out Lou's other video on that as well, because I thought that was really handy. Both, not so much in, um, sorry, both for the creation of the emitters, but also for the kind of full overview on how it works and how to get it all set up. Um, next, Reiki has made some posts on Twitter about some upcoming cores, including Gradius and Super Locomotive. So nothing is there yet, but the announcements are obviously pretty exciting. And there's also some other F, uh, announcements, such as the F3 hardware. Um, Pierco announced that he's started work on a core for the puzzle arcade game Kowalko. Kowako. Yeah, I probably got that wrong. My apologies. Um, PCXT Core has finished its main development stage. It's possible that new features will be added, but at the moment, the developer is pretty much saying, here you go, have it as is, which is pretty cool. Um, also, Robert is playing with the place, uh, a fork of the PlayStation Core to double the CPU's clock and adding more cache. Definitely check that out on Twitter because I was just once again blown away. Um, this probably won't make it into the main thing because it's going to be a, a rewrite of it, but it's just really awesome to see what could be potentially possible on these FPGA platforms. Having the accuracy of the original with crazy other features that will probably be inaccurate, but that's awesome. That's the point, <laughs> you know. Um, and also there's some up, uh, miscellaneous fixes for the M72 core. So hopefully I wasn't too much more stumbly than usual. As always, thanks so much to Lou for doing all of this because I could never keep up with all of this. And it's so handy just having it here in one place. I just posted an interview with Dixon Wu, who is the creator of the Hong Kong Retro Gaming Festival. And it was such an interesting conversation. We dug into kind of his gaming origin story, how the expo itself got started, how an ex-Sega executive made it happen. And of course, one of my favorite things to discuss is how it was to be a gamer in the 90s in Hong Kong versus other places. Uh, that was always something that fascinated me for all the right reasons. I've had amazing conversations with people from all over the world that grew up completely different than I did, but had some of the exact same stories. And I love talking about that stuff. So um, if you're interested at all, as always, these long form podcasts are available everywhere. So if you're somebody who prefers to see who's talking while you're listening, great, it's a video. But if you just want to listen on the go, it is on, I think, every available audio-only podcast service. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout-out to the Scene World podcast because I got in touch with Dixon through them, and one of the main reasons that I, I just finally made the jump to reach out and ask if he wanted to do an interview was because I started to hear his story in that podcast, and it kind of just made me want to say, nah, I really want to talk to you myself. So Scene World, sorry for stealing one of your guests, but uh, I just I really enjoyed the conversation and wanted to share it with all of you. Pre-orders are now open for an N64 HDMI kit from Gamebox Systems, the same company that just did the Game Gear consoleizer that we talked about before, as well as a couple of others. Um, the important parts about this, the pre-orders open this Friday, so two days from when this goes live, December 16th 
at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm terrible. I think it's like an hour before New York time. I'm terrible looking that up. You definitely want to go check out a world clock to make sure that you get it in your time zone. Um, this is an internal digital to digital kit. It is not an analog to digital conversion. So you have all of the advantages of that, meaning it's able to manipulate the signal any way you'd like in its digital form. There is no chance of analog interference, which is not too big a deal until we start getting into, you know, 80 inch 8K TVs. And then that's going to start to be a lot more noticeable. And it outputs a number of different resolutions. Uh, I'll get to those in a second. Uh, I just also wanted to say the price is $110 plus shipping. They're due to ship mid-February, so two-ish months from now. And after that, they're going to have N64s with this kit pre-installed available for sale. But I do want to talk about the resolution options a little bit because I, there's some good news and some, you know, you're going to have to make up your own mind about this. First, uh, it allows for true 240p output, which in my weird nerdy personal opinion is the most important feature of this for a number of reasons. First, you could use a cheap DAC to go from HDMI to either component video or VGA and then SCART through the HD15 to SCART to have basically an RGB mod and an HDMI mod on the same console. But also as uh, separate scalers get more advanced, you know, as the, you know, maybe someday the RetroTINK 8K is going to come out. You don't have to worry about a kit first scaling the unit and then your scaler scaling it a second time. You could output the original signal and then let whatever future scaler comes out do all the work for you, but in its native digital form, so still no chance of analog interference. So while today, right now, that might not be the biggest deal, I think that's one of the most important features of kits like this, like the 3DO and uh, Neo Geo kit from Fixel, because it's future-proof. Even if this, even if the limitations of this kit mean that you can't have some crazy new feature that you want, it doesn't matter anymore because you still have the advantage of a digitally modded console. So that's the one I wanted to talk about first. It also has 480p, uh, so streamers or people that just want to go into a VGA CRT monitor, that's a, an easy one. 720p is probably going to be the main resolution everybody uses. should be totally fine on most flat panels. Um, try I can't believe I'm saying this, but the past few years, things are much different. Try turning the sharpness up on your flat panel uh, and see if that helps for the scaling. I've been oddly impressed with how that works in situations like this, not in place of the scaler, but you know, I, I think that's a perfectly fine resolution. The highest it goes, which is a limitation of the chipset, is 1080i, which normally I would say just don't bother with, but since there are a few N64 games that are 480i, it might be kind of neat to keep it interlaced and then let some kind of scaler or maybe an HD CRT take it from there. I don't know, but it's an option. I love options. If you don't ever want to use 1080i and it's mostly higher lag on flat panel modes, then just 720p is there. Also, pre-production firmware is showing about one to two frames of variable latency, uh, just like we did or we discovered when Tito and I tested the Game Boy Advance consoleizer. However, since the N64 outputs mostly standard TV signals, not something weird like the Game Boy Advance, it is likely that by the time this thing re uh, is released, the team could lower it even more. So if you are super, super, super sensitive to latency, um, you might want to kind of think about this one. I would also love to do a another, you know, sorry to constantly nag about latency, but I would love to take this, the uh, Pixel FX N64 and the original one, and 
who knows if you could even get those anymore, but and just do a test on all three to see how the latency differs between them. But overall, if you just want to play your N64 on an HDMI display, this might be a really good option. And, you know, the team is always working on updates and tweaking. So who knows? By the time this is released, it might be a very low latency. I mean, it's already low latency, but it might be a very low latency solution in the future. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, as it is you who makes all of this craziness happen, including some pretty neat videos I have coming up in the future that hopefully you'll be interested in. So as always, thank you so much, and I will see you all next week.